Good evening, everybody. It's good to see your smiling eyes this evening. I'm really glad to be with you. Um, it's uh, that time of the week that we look forward to where we get away from the world, get together with our people uh, to encourage each other and to um, spend some time in God's Word. So uh, that's what we're here to do, and let's uh, get right into that. Before we um, go to God in prayer, just have a couple... Um, brief but um, somewhat urgent announcements. Uh, first of all, Shane Gillespie wanted you to know that he's sick and that's why uh, you won't see him this evening. But then um, maybe more urgently, just learn that Sherry Robinson fell sometime within the last couple days um, and was there and uh, somebody found her and helped her and she's at the hospital right now. They're running some tests. They think she's going to be okay. She's dehydrated. Um, and that's, that's what we know so far, probably keeping her overnight. So um, let's remember her uh, very uh, diligently in prayer. Uh, she may need uh, our attention after that. Let's uh, go to God in prayer and then get into our study of Nehemiah. Our great God and Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are the God who keeps his covenant promises. We remember this. Um, because you've shown it to us time and again in your, in your scriptures. We're here, Father, to open your word, and we desire to learn the things you intend us to learn from, these, uh, from, from our reading of your word. And we pray that we will have these good attitudes displayed where we put our hand to the work and where we uh, seek your word and, and, and seek you in prayer at all times. And are not, uh, you know, dismayed or discouraged by the adversaries. Father, we will not neglect at any time to offer urgent prayers on behalf of our brethren. Our sister Sherry Robinson um, needs your uh, care right now. We pray that you look after her and um, be the hands for the doctors to um, bring her to a full healing and recovery and quickly, if that's in your will. <clears throat> Father, we thank you. You've been so kind and good to us. You've seen after all our needs, um, both the, uh, the things that sustain life on this earth, but then um, all that we need for holiness and righteousness to live with you, <clears throat> or to live in you, and then to look forward to living with you one day. And so, Father, uh, we pray for your help as we make our efforts to serve and follow you. Be with us. Guard us from the evil one. We pray that you forgive us of our sins. And we're praying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we've come to Nehemiah chapter 3, but we need to remember what we've uh, uh, done so far in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. You recall in chapter 1, there's bad news. And Nehemiah hears that the people of God and the city of God are in a very bad uh, situation. And he says, I'm the one to, to help do something about this. And he sought the Lord, and then he went before the king and requested to go. We need to rebuild this city. Uh, it's in a terrible situation, and there's a great reproach on the city because uh, it's broken down, and, and it all, all is not well. And, and he does this. He goes and he finds, yeah, it's, it's not, these things are not good. And he says to the people, we need to do something about this. Let's rise up and build. And they said, yes. And chapter 2 concluded with the words of the people saying, let us arise and build. And then it says, and so they put their hands to the good work. What an encouraging message to see right from uh, the beginning. And chapter 3, which is what we're getting into now, is going to describe the good work that they put their hands to. But then also chapter 2 ended with this thinly veiled threat by the, the enemy, by the adversary, Samballot, um, along with uh, Tobiah and, um, and a couple others. And they're saying, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Well, this is a pretty good thing to say. Because if you, uh, if you know that this is, this is not the report you want, you don't want the king to hear a report about you saying <laughs> there's a rebellion. And, and um, Nehemiah is the one 
that's causing all the problems. So this could be a, uh, a great problem. So how are they going to react? Is this going to cause them any trouble at all? Well, um, we'll see they get right into the work in chapter 3 and then more from the adversaries in chapter 4. So that sets us up for what we're going to see. Now, um, by way of just a brief introduction to chapter 3, this is one of those things. This is where we wink at each other and say, okay, here goes, we're reading a bunch of names, and then it's such-and-so made repairs, and next to him, so-and-so made repairs, and next to him, uh, this group of people made repairs, and we read it and we think, well, that's a little bit repetitive. And we read it and um, we're tempted to think uh, passages like this are tedious. If that's the impression we get of this, I hope that we can rethink it. Um, because the Lord does not waste words on pointless things or on uh, aimless or just unnecessarily tedious things. His words are, are there for a reason. No, these are not... Not, not intended to be dry and not intended to be skipped over. I want to suggest this is chapter 3 of Nehemiah is one of the number of places where God has his hall of fame. This is God's hall of fame. And here's what I'm saying with that. Well, Cam, you may have to... Um, Send us forward in the slides. This is not going to work. Thank you. The Lord's people have always had their deeds recorded. Their deeds have always been recorded in a book. The children of Israel had their deeds recorded in a book. We have our deeds recorded in a book. And so I've made something here that rhymes to help us remember it. God records it. Because it's important to him. And God rewards it. Because this is um, an example where we see people faithfully carrying out um, what they're intended to do. Um, so I know these things are important to the Lord. And uh, the passages you see there on the slides will kind of give a hint as to why I think that's the case. In fact, why I know that's the case. Um, turn to Mark chapter 14 and verse 9. Now what we're talking about here is something, you just have people making repairs on a wall. Now that doesn't, in our estimation, maybe measure up to the people who slayed giants and who faced lions right in the mouth. We think those are heroes. These are heroes as well. There are heroes who... Um, are courageous in battle, and they are heroes who quietly serve and work and encourage and these kinds of things. They are heroes who pray for their fellow brethren and who seek the welfare of the people of God. Heroes look like that as well. But in Mark chapter 14, what you have is Jesus in his last hours on earth. And something happens that most people tend to, well, at least the people around tended to look over and didn't probably treat this as important as the Lord counted it to be. So she had bought this costly perfume and is anointing Jesus with it. And, of course, some of them are, are being uh, sarcastic about it and thinking, well, what a waste, essentially. And in verse 6 of Mark chapter 14, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. Well, this is just a small thing. But Jesus counts it as a good deed. And he says, for the poor you always have with you. you. You can do them good whenever you wish. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Now listen to verse 9. Jesus, the, the Lord, God, records the small acts of his people, the faithful things that they do. Mark 14, verse 9, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. God records it. God rewards it. 
Um, look at Matthew chapter 25. Well, uh, let me just remind you of Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> There's going to be the judgment day. And he parts these ones from these ones. And these ones, he said, well done. Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. And they're saying, Lord, when do we do these things? And you know the answer. He says, to the extent that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So a small deed, and it's remembered, and it's rewarded. Um, and you, you can recall a number of occasions throughout Scripture where... These, these small things are just recorded and, and left for us. You can think in Acts chapter 9, this is just one example of Tabitha, or you may know her as Dorcas. And um, why do we even remember her? Well, she's recorded. The small things, what it, well, she um, was a woman abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. She's a hero. This is God's hall of fame. These are the ones who, who gain favor and recognition and honor from the Lord. And he records these things for our learning and um, for our rewarding at, at the end. Um, on that note, turn to Matthew chapter 10. And I'll remind you of Matthew 10 verse 42. Let's think about the smallest possible thing we could do. And that's what Matthew 10 addresses. What does the Lord think of the smallest thing? Well, whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Boy, that is the smallest thing you could do for the smallest person. Truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. In Galatians 6, verse 9, Do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Um, and so the, the thought there, again, is that there's a reward for the work uh, that we're going to be doing. So as we're coming to Nehemiah chapter 3, let's get into the text now. And with some fresh eyes, let's think about these are, these are God's people, the people that God esteems very highly. And let's notice um, what lessons we may be able to learn from what they were doing. In verse 1, Then Elisha the high priest arose with his brothers, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its door. So you have the priests, the ones who are supposed to be the leaders of Israel, the spiritual leaders, and uh, they along with the Levites. And actually... Um, it's refreshing to see the priests are doing exactly what they're intended to do. Um, they, they're leading in what, what needs to be done. And it says they, um, you know, they built the sheep gate. And next to him, this, that is Elisha, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of um, Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. Throughout chapter 3, you see this phrase. Um, you have one working and making repairs, and then next to him, there's the, another one working and making repairs. And, and next to him, and next to them, and, and then after him, you come along, and then you see that so-and-so is making repairs th throughout the entire chapter. What is that conveying there? Well, it's, it's, it reminds me of the familiar words of, of Philippians chapter 2. Now, most of the time, we um, are focusing on the statements... Um, you know, at the beginning, we're, we're wanting to be Christ-like in our humble attitude and, and things like this. One of the other things that Paul is urging them to be um, is unified, um, and here's especially unified in spirit. So it says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, 
united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Those last two um, statements especially, I think, address what we're seeing here. And what a fantastic example of people who are united in spirit. We're going to see later that they had a mind to work. A united, singular mind. And all of them, shoulder to shoulder with the next one. All the way down the wall. All the way around the city. They're building up the wall. Um, intent on one, fir- on one purpose. And now I fl- flipped away from Ephesians, or Philippians. But actually a few verses earlier. Um, just a few phrases earlier. There in verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, listen to this, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and, listen to this, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for for you, and that too from God. There's actually a lot in there. But essentially what we need to see is that the the activity of Nehemiah 3 is people intent on working together, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, um, and then striving together. And um, we'll, we'll notice that in chapter 4, their reaction to the opponents. And Paul is urging these ones not to be in any way uh, alarmed by the opponents. So what a, what a fantastic example they uh, provide for us. Now look at verse 5. Moreover, next to him the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. You might think... Um, You know, if they're unsupported here, that's um, food for discouragement, maybe. Maybe food for excuses. Maybe say, I'm getting no support here. How how am I supposed to carry on the work? But that's not what we see at all. Uh, Rather, um, you see them uh, faithfully carrying on repairs. But what's even more impressive is... Come down to verse 27. We'll skip ahead just a little bit. In verse 27, after him the Tekoites... Wait a minute. I just read about the Tekoites in verse 5. Well, in verse 27, after him the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. And so, not only are they refuse to be discouraged, not only are they carrying on with the work, they get done with the section they were doing and say, give us more. Show me another section. I'm going to do that part too. Um... And so, uh, I, I look up to the Tekoites there. Come down to verse 10. And I want to make an observation about, about this. Well, you have some other individuals. And next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Hattush, and then so on. And then in verse 23, come and notice there. Because you see something similar. After them, Benjamin and Hashab carried out repairs in front of their house. Come down to verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests carried out repairs, each in front of his house. What should we say about this? Well, um, you know, my observation from this is that the fact of the matter is you don't have to travel far away or to a foreign land or go to any really great um, impressive lengths to find a way to get involved in the Lord's work. In fact, I imagine if we are even literally to walk out our front door, we can find some of the Lord's work for us to get um, busy doing. We don't have to travel far. It's very near us, in fact. Now, the world tells us what we should do and the way to lead a fulfilling life. You remember our lesson from two weeks ago? Uh, Leland taught us about what the Lord tells us about a fulfilling life. Well, the world tells us that the way you get fulfillment is by shooting for changing the entire world, changing, having a world impact, and you're going to get notoriety from doing that, and you're going to make a big splash. Well, I'm not so sure, and in fact, I'm pretty sure it's not, 
um, the way of the Christian. In fact, um, it's, it's clear to me that the Christian's ambitions are much more modest. Now, don't misunderstand me. When uh, people are doing what they need to do and standing right beside each other doing what they need to do, will they build that wall? Yes, they will build the wall. And so they will have a big impact. The people will go out and they're going to get scattered but each one of them is going to go about teaching and preaching the world, uh, teaching and preaching the word, with the effect that the whole world will hear the gospel, right? And that was actually our lesson this past Sunday morning, that the opposition, now we're really skipping ahead, the opposition is not going to discourage the work um, when, when, when godly people put their mind to the work. Um, but as I said, and I need to support this, the Christians' ambitions are more modest. There's a simple statement in 1 Thessalonians 4. And it says in verse 11, what kind of ambitions are we to have? It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. And so what I am to understand here, I believe, is that there are small things that we're expected to attend to on a daily basis. You take care of your own. You work with your hands. You find the spot in the wall that needs to be repaired right in front of your own house and start working with that. Um, and, and the Lord will be pleased. You're, you're in the Hall of Fame for doing that. Hopefully that's um, helpful in considering these things. <clears throat> And so we have the gates rebuilt, and we have the wall coming along very nicely. Um, and it reminds me of the exhortation in Romans, which these, these ones don't even need. In Romans chapter 12, well, no, actually, sorry, I, I, I want to read uh, uh, Nehemiah 3, verses 19 and 20 before we go there. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the official, the official of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. Listen to this. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabbai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. So here they are. Um, continuing with the work, it says zealously continuing with the work. The exhortation that I started to reference in Romans chapter 12 is in verse 11. He's giving them a number of um, exhortations in this passage. And um, so we're kind of breaking into the middle of a sentence, actually. But they're all kind of only loosely related. And what you see in verse 11 is he, he urges them not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's what he needs them to be. Well, again, we have... Um, this uh, a perfect example laid out before us of what that looks like. Um, and his name is Baruch. I have a question for you as we um, get ready to conclude our, um, uh, our thoughts about chapter 3. Um, what is it, you know, I read, I'm reading about priests carrying out repairs. And um, I, think, I think it may be working, Cam, actually. Let's see here. Uh, no? Yeah, it's going. All right. It, it, this thing works great when it's turned on. It's got a really confusing switch here. So, it's not that confusing, actually. Thank you, Cameron. Um, so, I'm reading about priests um, repairing the wall and repairing gates. And I'm reading about um, goldsmiths and Levites and, and city officials and merchants and perfumers um, building a wall. And my question is, what do... Merchants and, um, you know, Levites, goldsmiths. What do perfumers know about building a wall? It just is something that struck me as interesting as I was uh, reading through this. Now, I don't want to make any bad assumptions or fail to give credit where it's due or sell anyone short. Maybe this is normal and comfortable work for them and they fall right in and it's um, uh, perfectly, perfectly natural for them. But I kind of doubt it. You know, I look at a couple of those jobs, city officials, um, no comment on politics there, but, you know, perfumers, these sound like soft jobs. 
and rebuilding and repairing a wall sounds like anything but that. Can you imagine trying to get get a gate up and, have, you know, these are, I don't know, it, it sounds like a lot of dirty, hard, hot work, handling rock and maybe um, some form of brick. Um, maybe this was normal to them, but like I said, I kind of doubt it. Um, but they put their hands to the good work. They didn't, they didn't outsource it. They didn't, um, they gave no excuses. Um, there's no record of them saying, you know, just really not sure I'm cut out for this kind of work. Um, maybe I can let some others uh, do this. You know, I don't read them doing that. And that really says something about their character, and I think it says something to us about the kind of work that, get, that comes up before us, and we say, ooh, I'm not sure I'm ready to undertake teaching a Wednesday evening Bible class, or any number of things. But they put their hands to the good work and said, yes, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to do that. <clears throat> um, they went out their front doors uh, to the nearest section, and they got busy. Um, and so the, the summary of this, I think, and, and the encouragement for us is, let us not lose heart in doing good, Galatians 6, verse 9. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Let's talk about um, the lessons <clears throat> that we've noted so far from chapter 3. Um, and then <laughs> what I meant to tell you is last week, <laughs> come and find me later <laughs> and tell me what I missed. I really want to talk about this. I'm always excited to talk about these things. Um, and so the things that I have certainly missed, I want to hear about it. Come find me and let's, um, let's make sure these lessons get um, mutually shared uh, to one another. And uh, if it's really good stuff, maybe it'll uh, show up in a review next week. Um, what lessons do we have here? <clears throat> well, we said that, you know, we, it's kind of com maybe confusing at first glance to see why we have so many um, names and kind of a, a bit of repetition, we might think. Is it dry? No. This is, this is showing us that God appreciates um, the hard work that these people are doing, and we need to see this, and we need to learn our lessons from it. He records it, and then, as we noted, He rewards it. And then we've been talking about how godly people react to um, different situations. <clears throat> and so, in chapter 3, what we saw was godly people that were doing what they can. And we noted a couple of New Testament passages that were saying the same thing. Um, but even, even the smallest thing, um, and, they, and they, you know, they will not lose their reward for that. And then they work heartily. They work zealously. They work diligently. Um, and this is where we didn't yet reference 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But the encouragement, it's such a, such a, um, a powerful encouragement that Paul is exhorting the Corinthians. He's saying, this, this life is coming to an end. There's going to be a resurrection. And his, his conclusion to this is, Therefore, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Get busy. Grow more and more. Go find another section of the wall after you get done with this one. <laughs> abound in the work of the Lord. He says, knowing that your toil is not in vain. The Lord sees it. He records it. He, re I mean, he, he rewards it. And then they work together. You know, the Lord's people will be uh, pulling the same direction. They're going to be united in what they are, are working together to do. And that's the reminder from Philippians chapter 2. Okay, good so far? Let's go on to chapter 4. Now, um, what the work that they've done so far is really coming along, but it doesn't go unnoticed. And the wrong sorts of people are seeing what's going on. And our good friend, and by that I mean not our good friend, the enemy, Sam Ballot, heard that they were rebuilding the wall. He became furious and very angry. I'm not sure how that's not uh, redundant, but he's both furious and very angry which tells you something. And so his reaction is he's going to mock the Jews. And here's how he does it. He spoke in the presence of uh, his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? You see, he's uh, belittling them. He says, 
Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? You can almost hear his sarcastic tone of voice. You can. Um, and then what, what is, I'm not even sure what he means by this. Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? It's like, um, so he's planting doubt. He's planting uh, discouragement. And as so often happens when you see one person mocking the people of God, well, people pile on, don't they? Well, so his, um, as soon as he was done, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even, if they were, uh, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. You almost have to chuckle with just, almost how silly um, it sounds um, and, and how ridiculous. My question uh, for us is, when you see um, the enemies of the Lord and maybe our enemies, and they are you know, trying to get under our skin with petty or dismissive. Do you see how dismissive this was? Or um, just blatantly ridiculous comments. Are, are we letting that get, get under our skin and affect us? Well, I, I hope not. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is it's hard not to. It's hard not to, to see that. Now, in verse 4, um, Nehemiah breaks in. He says, Hear, O Lord, how we are despised. And it's kind of, a, it's kind of one of his uh, short prayers. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Um, there, there are occasions when um, there are threats or these, um, these slanderous comments and the people of the Lord pray to him and say, Please hear what they're saying. David did this um, in the Psalms. He was in bad situations for much of his early life. And um, the apostles did this, actually, um, in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Um, they, they pray, Oh, Lord, take note of their threats. Remember, Peter and John had been threatened, Don't speak anymore in that name. Um, so, so threats are coming about from the, from the enemies. Oh, Lord, take note of their threats. Well, the Lord hears. Remember our study last week? He's attentive to the prayer of the righteous. His ear is attentive to their prayers. Um, and he's, he will look toward um, the righteous ones. So what... Um, but we get a sense from verse 5 that this is beginning to take an effect. You know, they, they've ramped up their, their ugliness to such an extent that the, the builders are, are beginning to be demoralized. Do not forgive their iniquity, O Lord. Verse 5, And let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the workers. But in verse 6, there is still progress going on and uh, something good to be said. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. So all the way around, we've built... Uh, a wall to half a height, but then look at the end of verse 6, and what a fantastic statement. It says, For the people had a mind to work. What have we been saying? They are united in spirit. They have the same mind, and they're intent on building this wall. So we praise them very highly for this. <clears throat> so in verse 7, so it's, it's a little bit of what, what these ones are doing and what these ones are doing. So it's the people of God and how they're responding and then the opponents and how they're responding. So the opponents, see, came about when Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, it sounds like the enemies are actually um, multiplying here. They heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. Well, they were very angry before, so if they're very angry now, they're even more angry. Um, and, uh, you know, they, uh, verse 8, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Well, we started off with a couple adversaries, and now we're amassing them at a pretty rapid pace, and none of them are happy with what's going on, and they're determined to, um, to, 
to cause trouble and be disruptive. They've tried manipulating to kind of impede the work. They've tried mocking, and they've had some success. Now they're intending to be a little bit more violent, and they're, they're stopping at nothing. But in verse 9, the most appropriate and immediate response, well, that's what they, they follow, the most appropriate thing. But we, verse 9, prayed to our God. And because of them, this seems very prudent, we set up a guard against them day and night. Um, so, they, they're, they're doing well. They're responding really in all the right ways. How can you not be a little bit discouraged? Okay, maybe, you know, try not to be, but, um, but, but I'd say they're, they're doing the, the right things. But, it's getting to them somewhat because there, there's a new saying in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. And there's much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to build the wall. And the enemies are saying, we, they will not know or see until we come, up, uh, come, upon, come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Um, now, the Jews are hearing this, and they keep coming to Nehemiah and, and to the leaders and saying, you have to, you have to do something. They're serious. They're going to they're gonna act. And they came, you know, we're hearing this over and over. This, something bad is going to happen. And they're becoming afraid. Well, this is the time for Nehemiah to act. Because when the people become afraid, um, they begin to lose. And so it is with us. So notice what he does in verse 14. And see if these words sound at all familiar to you from your good Bible study. When I saw their fear, I rose... And spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Well, yes, these words certainly will sound familiar. Because these are the words of Joshua. Joshua said to them, do not be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with which you fight. Joshua 10. And we commend Joshua because he learned the lesson the Lord told him. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. And now he's teaching the people. And Nehemiah was taught by the Lord. And Nehemiah has the words of Joshua written on his heart. You remember the theme we've started starting last week? Nehemiah has the words of God written on his heart. And here we see that... Um, he echoes the words of Jeremiah. <clears throat> um, we, we receive the same exhortation when we come to the New Testament, and we need it. If you turn to he, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, just as by way of reminder, in verse 13, um, by the way, this comes right on the heels of a quote of that passage we keep alluding to, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. So, so from the Psalms 34 and I think also 139. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, after having said that, 1 Peter 3 says to us, and who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Can we see this statement in, the, in, the, in Nehemiah chapter 4? Nehemiah is saying, why are you worried? Why are you being afraid? Who's going to harm you? You've, pr you've put your hand to the good work. And so the same exhortation is given to us. And it says in verse 14, um, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Now, do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. So this is the, this is the exhortation for us, and we need to take it to heart. Um... But moving quickly along, as I see we're beginning to, we're in fact really entirely running out of time. Um, so in verse 16, what is the response to this? Well, um, the enemies see that the plan has become known, and this gives the people of God a boost. They say, let's get back to the work. But not just as everything was before. Something's changed here. There's still um, <clears throat> the, the threat. came about from that day on, verse 16, that half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them carried, you know, held the spears, the shields, the bows, the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Now those who were rebuilding the wall 
and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand, doing the work, and the other holding a weapon. Um, As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near uh, me. Um, We think of swords as something we want to be ready, you know, have ready to take up on those rare occasions where, uh, you know, when when the big battle is getting ready to happen. In actuality, we need to be thinking that the, the, the war is constant. It's right now. It's every moment of every day. The threat, the danger is constant. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 is the full armor of God, right? It says, take up the full armor of God. Um, you might say, um, you know, he's not telling them, you know, get it ready for some future exercise. That's not what's being said here. He's saying, you need to put it on. Put it on if you want to be safe. Um, and part of this, of course, is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And my, my statement and observation from Nehemiah 4 and from Ephesians, and putting that together with Ephesians 6, is this. If we ever leave home without our sword, there's a danger of ambush and there's a danger of total defeat. And I think that's what this is trying to convey to us. Um, in this passage. Um, So, uh, come down now to verse uh, 21. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from the dawn until the stars appeared the entire day. And at that time also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and laborer by day. So neither I nor my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each of us took his weapon even to the water. It's a constant, do you see the constant vigilance, the constant alertness um, that they're displaying? Um, I think that's what we're intended to see here. Um, And that's uh, echoed again in Ephesians 6, I'll just point out in verse 18, be on the alert with all perseverance, Ephesians says. And of course, um, I don't need to remind you of 1 Peter 5. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone who he can devour. Look at the end of verse 20 and look at the encouragement Nehemiah uh, gives them. Whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. This is Nehemiah's encouragement to them. I like the word encouragement. It has that word courage hidden inside there. (laughs) Thought about that, especially with reference to what we're reading here. Um, But what Nehemiah is saying is essentially the words of Psalm 118. Um, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. Nehemiah is convinced of this. Nehemiah has the words of the Psalms written on his heart. And he uses this as a way of encouraging the people. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. We need to talk about the lessons from chapter 2 and then have a, just briefly cover chapter 3. Oh no, that's, we're in chapter 4. Let's, lessons for chapter 4 here. Godly people encourage each other with the words of Scripture, which is what um, we've, we've just seen here. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, uh, no, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, um, for whatever is written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Godly people encourage one another with Scripture. Godly people trust in God's assurance of protection. He said, I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I will by no wise uh, do any of those things. And uh, Deuteronomy 31 is one of the uh, places that's <clears throat> noted. Godly people carry the sword at all times because otherwise they're unprepared and they're defenseless. And then godly people, you'll find, uh, will um, most certainly be ridiculed by adversaries. 
However, there's a, a blessing. There's a blessing pronounced on anyone for whom that's the case. There's a, a, uh, a kinship with Christ. Um, the, you know, we're sharing the sufferings of Christ when these things happen. And the words of 1 Peter 4 encourage us. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Chapter 5, just briefly, there's a complaint um, uh, that's being lodged. Chapter 4, we'd seen this turmoil that's building up on the outside. Chapter 5, unfortunately, there's turmoil from within as well. Um, in verses 1 through 5, in a word, what you see is they're being oppressed. Um, there's a famine, first of all, and they come to Nehemiah and say, you have to help us. We need to be able to buy grain so we can eat and live. We're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards. Now it's getting so bad that even our children are having to go into servitude uh, about these things. So they're oppressed. Now, verse 6, Nehemiah's response is this. Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Is it right to be angry? Well, <laughs> with a number of things, yes. With injustice, yes. Because God is angry with injustice. There are a number of things we need to be uh, angry about. There are a number of uh, times where we'll see sin. And we need to, um, we need to be uh, very bothered and, and indignant about it. Um, the, the truth is that God's ways are to defend the oppressed. Um, he speaks in a number of places about what he wants from his godly people. And in Psalm 82, this is one of them. He, is, he encourages them to change their ways and vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute, the oppressed, some of yours will say. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Okay, godly people will defend the oppressed. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. And he tells them, you're not, you're not, what you're doing is not good. Look in verse 8. In verse 8, he reasons with them. He says, look, we've redeemed our Jewish brothers. We've just gotten them back from, from captivity and slavery. And now what you're going to do is sell them again and just sell them to each other? This is not right. So in verse 8, he reasons with them. In verse 9, he rebukes them. He says, the thing you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? See, the nations see what's going on here. They need, to, they need to change. Well, just to briefly summarize what happens, they repented when they were confronted with their sin. This book is so encouraging. You just see at every turn, godly people doing exactly what they ought to be doing. And in verse 12, listen to, the, listen to what good words these are. And they said... When, when they're encouraged to give back the, um, the fields and the vineyards to the oppressed ones, they said, we will give it back and we will require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So when they're confronted with God's will for them, they, they quickly change. And to their credit, um, in verse uh, 13, the end of that says, then the people did according to this promise. And they carried it out. They, they, they did what they said they were going to do. That, it's very refreshing to read in God's word of people doing all the right things, um, essentially. Um, just to summarize the very end of um, chapter 5, um, ne Nehemiah is kind of careful to say, look, now my behavior in this has been, has been blameless. Uh, he wanted us to know that you know, he was, he was um, by all rights, he could have taken this king's food allowance. But he said, I took none of it. And, and I, I, I had many people at my table, but I wasn't taking the, the, the king's allowance um, because, because of the oppression on the people. And it was just too hard. It's was, it was a famine. It's bad times. Um, and, you know, this makes him very much like Paul, who in 1 Thessalonians 8 says, you know, we didn't need anyone's bread without paying for it when we were among you. Um, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so we might not be a burden to any of you. And, and Nehemiah has that same sterling character. Okay, what are the lessons from uh, chapter 5 that we've seen so far? Godly people are indignant towards sin. 
and they realize that it needs to be corrected. The problem in 1 Corinthians 5 was you haven't corrected it. You're, you're acting like it's a great thing that you have this person, uh, this man, blatantly in sin. Even the Gentiles know this is wrong. Um, and they weren't, they didn't respond to it whatsoever and certainly didn't respond to it uh, appropriately with correction and, and you know, this, this attitude that this is not right. The thing you're doing is not good. Um, uh, Second Peter talks about uh, Lot and he, he spent his whole time in Sodom, it says, and his righteous soul was tormented by their wicked deeds. He didn't do maybe enough about it. But he had this attitude that he uh, could not stand the sin. Please, my brothers, remember? Please, my brothers, do not do so wickedly. He, ch- he did make an effort. Godly people defend the oppressed. We saw that from um, Psalm 82. And um, this was one of the reasons that God had contended with them before the captivity in Isaiah 1. He says, your hands are covered with blood, and on top of that, you're oppressing people. And that's uh, maybe a bad paraphrase of uh, Isaiah chapter 1. But Jesus, you come to the New Testament, and he's saying all the same things. Godly people, when they see the sin, they're going to go to the brother. They're going to reason with him. They're going to rebuke him. Um, And if you have, you've won your brother. You remember what uh, Matthew 18 says? Go to your brother. Tell him his fault in private. And if if he hears you, you've won your brother. Well, Nehemiah had a lot of people, a lot of brothers, and he had to go in front of all of them and tell all of them, you're not doing the right thing. But he won his brothers because he um, was faithful with this rebuke. Hard thing to do, but it's important. And godly people, when they're confronted with God's word, this needs no more expl- uh, explanation. Uh, they repent of these things. Well, I hope this, um, this uh, overview and, and study and read of uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, 3 through 5, has been helpful. We're going to have an invitation and then...